0: Jimmy and Dr. Sachs were introduced and reintroduced countless times. He stayed in the convalescent home where Sachs worked and never learned his way around the halls. He was good at games like checkers and tic-tac-toe, but got lost at chess because the moves were too slow. Dr. Sachs said, I have never encountered, even imagined, such a power of amnesia, the possibility of a pit into which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. And the staff at the home spoke of Jimmy as a lost soul. See, without, without remembering, our relationships become meaningless to us. We don't find our place well in this world. And that's true of our relationship with God as well. The Bible continually, especially the book of Deuteronomy, urges us over and over again, remember and don't forget. Remember and don't forget. Here's from Deuteronomy 8. This could be written to us. In fact, it is written to us. So take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Remember, don't forget. So our time together is given over to that act today remembering what we've been learning through the teaching of the books of First and Second Peter now that we've completed those this year. So those have been, oh, more than 20 sermons have been preached. What has God been saying to you? Do you remember? James tells us we must remember. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So today we want to be amongst those who remember and do the words of God for us. We'll look through these sh- two short letters and be reminded of what the Spirit has been saying to us as a church family and to you personally. And we'll read sections from First and 2 Peter and review some of the main teaching that's been involved in these books. And then we'll have some interspersed songs of worship, and those will be chances for you to, to express your love for God um, it'll be a chance if you choose to just to sit quietly where you are, to look at the scriptures that God's pressing on your memory, and to consider what it is God wants you to carry out of this room today from from these studies. So if you choose to sit or to kneel and to pray or to look at the pages of the scripture during these worship songs and times of reflection, that's okay. That's why we're here today. Now, if if you're a guest or if you haven't been with us through 1st and 2nd Peter, uh, the exercise for you is not in remembering as much as it is in, in hearing for the first time, listening to what God is saying to you today through the teaching of First and Second Peter. I, I hope that'll be of value for you today. So, if you would open your Bibles to First Peter, we'll start there first. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, help us now to hear your word and be reminded of that which you are calling us to do and be as your people. Help us not be hearers only. But I pray your spirit today would do his good and beautiful work to remind us, even to convict us of that which you are saying to us so that we might walk in it gladly and love you back for the good love, the great love that you've shown to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, First Peter, right out of the blocks, he starts by describing the shape of the saving love of God for us. Verse 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, So Peter starts with this amazing, rich description of how it is that God has loved you and saved you to a relationship with himself. Um, it's as though Peter's holding up this picture of our sa- salvation and just says, look at how awesome this is. Okay? This is the foundation for his whole writing. This message of hope, this gospel, this good news And it's like a waterfall of descriptors. Listen back through it again with me. First, in the first verses 1 and 2, it's the work of the whole Trinity. The foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, the shedding of the Son's own lifeblood. It's an expression in the next two verses of God's mercy. He says we're born again to a living hope through Jesus' own resurrection. It brings us an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven by God for us as our faith is being guarded by God's own power. Down in verse 6, he says, it's greater than our many trials. It's more precious even than gold. It's why we love him in verse 8 and believe in him and rejoice in him. It's the very salvation of our souls. Verse 10, the prophets pointed us to it. In verse 12, it was preached to us as good news by those sent by the Holy Spirit and the angels wish they could see it from your perspective. And even though this glorious chain of salvation, it's ours now, it waits to be fully revealed in heaven. Peter's telling us the best is yet to come. In 2 Peter, he's going to write these words. You'll remember them. According to his promise, we are waiting For new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What do we get to inherit? We'll inherit it all. An entire new earth, entire new heavens, inhabited by God himself. So whatever the cost of following Jesus, Peter is going to say, because of this, this salvation, it's worth it. So very worth it. And because of that, we love and believe and rejoice in Jesus. Now, Peter's going to describe this same amazing good news, this gospel, in the second chapter. This is beautiful. Listen closely to it. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this morning, before anything else, We just want to step back and see how rich, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for us. So that's how Peter starts his letter, right? (laughs) That's how he starts it. He says, uh, this is how much and how you are loved by God. And he says something interesting in the eighth verse of the first chapter. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And and after what he's just said about how God loves us, how could we not, right? And that's a really, really good question. How do we love God back after he grants us such an inheritance as this? What shape should our love for God take? He says in verse 9 of chapter 2, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just a couple verses later, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the nations, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, we're to live lives that declare the excellencies of God to a watching world. So they see our good deeds, and they glorify our God when he visits them. And those who would accuse us are silenced. It's important to reflect on that. How do you feel about your witness in light of this? Do you speak of God's excellencies to your friends and family? Do you live an honorable life that points your co-workers to God? Peter says that a life that looks like that is a life that's marked, interestingly, by this. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. One of the primary marks of a life that declares the worth of God to the world is submission, submission to that God and the authorities he's placed over it. He says, he tells servants to submit in chapter two, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So I wonder, would your boss describe you like this? He tells the younger to submit to the elders in chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I wonder, would our elders here describe you like that? You know, in the middle of all this, he tells wives to submit. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter calls wives to be subject to their own husbands Continuing this kind of upside down thinking he's writing about, that this is a place of great influence. From the place of submission, God can use a wife to bring an unbelieving husband to faith in Christ. You know, we would think that the place of influence would be the top of the org chart, but he says it's the low place. It's from this place, this place of submission that a believing wife yields tremendous spiritual influence. So if you want to be in a position of great, positive, spiritual influence in your husband's life, ladies, Peter says, go to this challenging place, this place of submission. And from there, it's like a pedestal that displays your Christ-like conduct. So this morning, as you remember this teaching from this passage... Would your husband describe you with these words of submission, influential submission in his life? Of course, then Peter turns and he addresses the husbands, and he says um, several interesting things, but he must consider this really important because this is the only time in this letter that he addresses the, the people in positions of authority as it relates to submission. So he tells citizens to submit to their government, but he doesn't address government leaders. He tells slaves to submit to their masters, but he doesn't address the masters. Um, Here, he calls wives to submit to their husbands, and he feels compelled to address the husbands. And so, brothers, remember well the words of Peter that are written to you. Here they are. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, honoring them as heirs with us, so that our prayers won't be hindered. Brothers, would your wife say that she feels honored by you? Does God have work for you to do at home in these matters? Has he poked you when we taught through this passage and now you've conveniently forgotten it? Brothers, honor your wives as heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So Peter is saying, trust God. Entrust yourself to God as Christ did and live in submission to the authorities he has placed over you even if you have to suffer for it. And that's a large portion of what Peter has taught us. That we should be willing to, even to suffer to follow the ways of Christ. Look at chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So he says, Don't fear anyone who causes, brings suffering to you because of your faith. Don't be troubled, don't be afraid, because when we do let fear drive us, Christ is not Lord. He says, do the good that Jesus calls you to, even though you suffer for it. And in that way, we declare Christ as Lord and holy. So this means, when we suffer, we still follow Jesus' way. We don't give in to fear. And Peter calls us to this beautiful life of holiness and love and grace even towards our adversaries. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In chapter 3 he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing so this morning as you remember the teaching of first peter what has god been saying to you do you remember is it about your holiness Or about the way you love his people that are in this room. Or the way you speak of Christ to those outside. Your trusting submission to those placed over you. Your willingness to suffer even for doing good. Your commitment to honor your bride. Let me give you just a minute to bow with me. And let's just seek God in prayer about these things. Important matters from 1 Peter. What is he saying to you? So take just a moment and quietly reflect on what God is saying to you. Let's turn our attention just for a few minutes to the small book of 2 Peter that we just finished. It's only three chapters long and it begins this way. Peter says in chapter 1 that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So He starts this little letter encouraging us to lean into God's power and on His promises. The life that he is going to call us to live is one of dependence upon God and on his amazing promises, precious and very great promises, he calls them. And take hope in that. These very great promises are yours in Christ. And that's a good time to pause and say, what promises are you remembering and hoping in? Can you think of a promise in the scriptures that you can that you could recite your claiming it so well, that you're remembering before God on an ongoing basis. Peter says, those are our hope, we lean on those. He goes on and says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So repeatedly, he says that we are to be diligent, that these are to be a top priority in in our lives, living this kind of life, being these kind of people. More diligent than dieting or working out or your morning coffee or scanning the deals on Prime Day or tracking scores on ESPN, he says, be diligent in this building these qualities into your life. They confirm your calling as a Christian. This is what real, authentic Christians look like. They're full of faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Peter promises us, if you'll do these things, you'll never fall. You'll never fall away from the faith. And then he warns us about false teachers who are trying to trip us up and make us fall away. The second chapter is given over to that. Here's how it starts. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So Peter is clear, right? False teachers will be found amongst the church, amongst us. So who are these people? And the rest of the chapter, he describes them like this. They are among us, amongst God's people, sitting at our feasts, he says where they secretly teach heresy, blaspheming God in his way. They deny the master Jesus who bought them. They urge sensuality upon many, indulging in the lust of defiling passion in broad daylight, eyes full of adultery. They despise authority and are bold and willful, speaking loud boasts of folly. Their blots and blemishes, the opposite of spotless and blameless, having hearts trained in greed, loving gain gotten from wrongdoing. They are insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls as they forsake the right way and lead others astray, enticing them by sensual passions of the flesh. They promise freedom, but are themselves enslaved to corruption. They have known of Jesus, but now they deny him, and their state now is worse than at first. He says they're like a dog who returns to its vomit or a sow who, after washing, returns to wallow in the mud. He says they are proud, they are sensual, they are greedy. And he says, they are stalking you. It says in verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. And they will exploit you with false words in their greed. Many will follow, Many. Verse 18, he says, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So he's saying they'll prey on new believers, enticing them into sexual sin. In verse 14, he says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls with their hearts trained in greed. So they're stalking you. False teachers are stalking you. Are you steady in your spiritual practices that safeguard you against them? Your daily reading of the word, your time in prayer, community with your small group, are you steady in those things? These particular teachers, Peter says, are denying the return of Jesus. says in chapter 3, Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter then reassures us of the surety of Christ's promised return. He does it beautifully down in verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, And at peace. So as you're reminded of Peter's teaching about the promised return of Christ. Are you waiting for that day? Even longing for that day? Praying for that day? Or do you deny it by your forgetfulness? Or your apathy? Or your prayerlessness? And again, the Lord's prayer is so helpful with this, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We're praying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, as we take our offering in just a minute, Melody has written a song that's immersed in the language of 2 Peter. You'll hear it. And as you listen to her sing it, I'd like you just to be remembering. What was God saying to me about these things? What does he want me to take away from the book of 2 Peter? Amen. So, first and second, Peter. What do you remember God speaking to you about? Some of you have heard 20 sermons. What is God saying to you? What is he asking you to remember and not forget? To do. It's so important. Is there a verse that you need to commit to memory and carry with you in the days ahead? Listen again to the teaching of Deuteronomy. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. So let me invite you. I'm going to bow together and just take a moment What's your takeaway? If there's one great thing from 1st and 2 Peter, maybe one from each book even, that you need to carry out of this room and build into your world. What would that be? Let's bow. We'll walk through those together. Lord, we we pray today for ears to hear and faith to do. Pray, Lord, as as we are here for the We hear the beauty of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ. And Lord, there are some here who've never bought into that. I pray you grant them faith even this day to cling to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And Lord, for those of us who do, that we would cherish that and live a life of love back at you. So Lord, that may be for some of us submission in some arena where it's hard. And it may mean suffering and sorrow if we are faithful. God grant us grace to be faithful. And give us hope in the surety of Christ's return for these things. And Lord, now, um, give us clarity What we are to walk out of here and be different, live different about because of the teaching of your word in 1 Peter and 2 Peter.